You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Awesome. So we're going to get started here uh, today. We're starting a new series, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. But just to set it up here, I want to play uh, audio from a podcast from a few years back. Uh, this is a... Uh, I think I accidentally turned it off instead of on. <laughs> That'll do it. All right, so uh, we're going to watch a, a, a bit of a, uh, audio from a podcast, so it's not going to be in video, just the audio, so you have to kind of listen. Uh, how many of you guys like podcasts? Or, okay, so a few of us. I love podcasts, but this is a podcast called This American Life. If you like podcasts, you know This American Life, so you might have heard this. But uh, So this is the story behind this. So uh, one of the producers of This American Life a few years back, he had a kid in kindergarten, and he, and he thought this thing was so interesting that the teachers came up with. If you've ever been around a kindergarten class, you know there's a lot of tattling that goes on. And so the teachers were so exhausted by all the tattling, they came up with this idea, let's make a phone, like a, a, just a pretend phone, and that's called the tattle phone. So instead of telling us, just tell the tattle phone. So all day long, the kids are just telling things to the tattle phone. So this guy is a producer. His kid is one of those kids. And so he got permission from all the parents in the class to make that phone be a real phone that recorded these messages. And so, uh, so this is just, this, the, this whole episode is like 20 minutes. This is just two minutes, just a little bit of a clip to set up what we're gonna talk about today. So put your listening ears on. You'll hear the producer step in and say something here and there, but uh, let's listen to the tattle phone. Eli told me a lie. Seamus wasn't sharing with me, and I don't like it, and I'm very upset. I'm up, Mason farted in my face, and I said, yuck, Nathan. Catch that one? Nathan farted in my face, and I said, yuck, Nathan. But the real crime? And he didn't say, excuse me. Ramona's not listening to my teacher, Mr. Eben, but he's my favorite teacher. And I know he, and I know he's mad at me, but I don't want him to be, so I'm trying my best to listen. Um, my friend Simone said no at me. My friend Simone. It's always their friends who are bugging them. My friend Jack was in my face while I was waiting to go to an area, and that made me really upset. Eli hit me, Eli hit me. Um, when I'm playing family with Simone, going to keeping me awake while I'm trying to sleep, pretend sleep. Can I just say, I'm not sure that one is actionable. You're pretending to sleep and complaining that someone is waking you up? I don't know. People are not sharing the telephone. <laughs> oh, I don't need this. Uh, yeah, I love that. What I love about that is it's, uh, it's so like it's pretty much like we are, you know what I mean, as adults. It's just, we learn to make it seem a little more sophisticated, but it's the exact same stuff, you know. Uh, there's something about when you put a lot of people together, we have issues, that we, we, you know, relationships are not easy. And um, we're going to be talking today about uh, how we, we just completed a series called, building, uh, called uh, uh, Citizens of Heaven, and we're going to do a new series called Building Bridges. Uh, here's the artwork that Megan designed. Let's see if this works. There we go. Uh, building bridges. And uh, so we're going to talk about our relationships in the church. At first she had a guy and a girl, but it's not really like guy-girl relationships. It's like, it's more of like discipling relationships we're going to talk about. So I like that one. It's like two girls having fun. Uh, you know, I, I like it. It's, it's cool. So I said maybe Brett and I could try to reenact that, uh, that pose there next week or something. <laughs> but it's, it's funny how... Uh, you know, how much of the Bible is dedicated to relationships. And uh, uh, just so much of Jesus' teaching, the whole Sermon on the Mount, uh, so much of Paul's teaching is really about relationships. And uh, really, today, the title of the lesson today is Identity-Centered Relationships, meaning the identity that we have in Christ as citizens in heaven, that should inform our relationships. That should change the way that we interact with, with one another. Uh, Jesus decided that the way he would change the world is through relationships. And so in, at the end of his ministry, before he went back into heaven in Matthew 28, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven 
and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the way that Jesus wanted to change the world, to rescue societies, to bring people back into a walk with God is to walk with people, to make friendships, to have uh, people that he got really close to. And he said, I want you to go out and make more of those. All of us are called to do that, to make disciples of Jesus. And how do we do that? In our church, we, we try to break it down in the way that Jesus did. So Jesus had the crowds, the public that he interacted with. And then within the, that greater circle of people, he had the 72 a social community that he, that he interacted with. And then within that, he had the 12, these certain people that he designated to have a closer relationship. And then he had one-on-one -on -one interactions with people like Peter, James, and John, or, 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 or the woman at the well. He had these personal relationships. And so in our church, we have the South Bay greater area. We have the South Bay Church. If you're here today, you're part of that community. We have our small groups where we're trying to break it down into 12. Some of our small groups are not so small. So as they get bigger, we want to try to break it down to that 12-ish size. And then, and then what we have, we're known in our kind of history of churches as the discipling movement. Because what we do in our church is we say we want everybody to not just be in a small group, but have a discipling relationship where one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two, -two, you have somebody you get with regularly and talk about life. And, and so this is what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. The reason is I think this is a, an area of our church that, and, and we have these little labels so you remember them, worship, friendship, discipleship, and ownership, where you, you have your own walk with God. But I think that discipleship phase or that discipleship, you know, really being one-on-one -on -one with people, being able to have, be transparent, that has broken down a lot in the last couple of years. Uh, whereas people maybe have discipling relationships, supposedly, but they don't really get together, or, or people just, you know... Hopefully, you're, if you're kind of new to the fellowship, this is just what, what, what the ideal is, is, that you would have someone. And, and if you're a member of the church, we really want to make sure everybody has somebody that they, that they get with regularly, it's who you feel great about, who they feel great about. But I want to talk about that a little bit today, how our identity in Christ should, should influence and, and interact with that relationship. So if you've been around a long time, I know a lot of people here have been disciples of Jesus for a long time. And so it can be easy to just tune out what I'm saying because, oh, yeah, I've heard this before, discipling, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, even when I put Matthew 28, 18 through 20, some of you guys I know, you're like, ah, I've seen that a lot of times. Do you know what I mean? It's just natural when you've seen something a lot of times. But it's profound. It's, this is the way that Jesus said to change the world is through these interact. This is the only way to make a difference. This is the only way to really grow the church is you break it down the way Jesus did. If he knew what to do, then we should probably do what he did, right? And, and, and I, I realize that some of us might have issues with transparency, issues with vulnerability. Uh, I won't say raise your hand if you have issues with vulnerability, because <laughs> that would be kind of, I'd kind of jabbing you in the area where you're, but, but all of us do, all of us do. All of us are kind of broken to one degree or another. That's the thing, and you think, oh, it's just me. I, I have a problem with, but we all have a problem with. You know, we all have, have these, these things. And here's why is because intimacy, intimacy, it's odd because intimacy is what everyone really wants. Uh, intimacy is to know and be known in internal and external worlds both. We, that's what everybody in the world really wants. You know, the world is trying to say it's sex that people want. It's not. It's intimacy. Sex and intimacy are not the same thing. It's to really know and be known. And, and sex can be a part of that in a committed relationship. That's not what we're talking about today. But, but the ultimate thing is intimacy. That's the trajectory we're on. In heaven, there are no, we aren't married or given in marriage. There's no sex in heaven. But there's intimacy, right? And intimacy is something that, that Satan has stolen from us. And I'll talk more about that in a second. But the world is lonely. This is, look at this uh, Barna research study done a few years ago. Can you guys see that? So I would have thought the old people would be lonely. What does that say? Just take a minute and look at it. Who's lonely? 6% of, of elders. 25% of millennials, you millennials. Come on, guys. You're more lonely than the elders. I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm only 1% better than you millennials. <laughs> But yeah, so, so people feel, this is how often do you regularly feel lonely. People have friends, but they feel lonely. And, and so uh, this is, has not improved a lot. They, they, they did one in, in, and in fact, I mean, it's gotten worse. 
a newer study in 2021 said now it's 31% of people that feel lonely every day. And that's a survey of 1,000 diverse age, gender, ethnicity, and religion. So people, people want connection, but they don't have it. And here's why. It goes all the way back to the origin story of human beings. Adam means human. So the very beginning origin story of humans are there was intimacy, right? I was naked. I felt no shame. There was connection with God, but sin broke that. We tried to, re- we, we wanted our own, we, we wanted to make our own path. We wanted to choose our own right and wrong for ourselves. And God says, okay, you can do that. But it caused a breakdown of intimacy. And, and so Adam says, I was afraid. That's his core emotion. Because I was naked, it's core motivation, it's fear of vulnerability. So I hid. That's his core strategy is to hide. So we all hide. We all hide in one way or another. We all have sort of these strategies we use to try to protect ourselves. And it's just natural. I mean, I remember, I remember being in eighth grade and being in band class, marching band or a concert band. And I don't even remember what happened. You know how you don't remember the details, but you remember how you felt, right? I don't even remember what happened, but I had this altercation with this other boy, and we kind of got into it, and I just remember just crying. And you know, boy, you do not want to cry as a boy in middle school in eighth grade. I mean, it was like, I was ruined. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm ruined. I'm melting. I'm melting, you know, because I'm just crying. And, uh, you know, you don't, you don't do that. You don't show weakness. You don't show tears. You've got to be tough. You know, that's what the world teaches us. And some of us grew up more rough and tumble than others, but we all hide in one way or another. But the amazing thing is that Jesus comes to give us a return to intimacy. And we'll, we'll talk about that. This book, where, where this comes from, this, some of this uh, is from a great book by Larry Crabb called Encouragement. Maybe because his last name is Crabb, he had to really get into <laughs> encouragement. Uh, but, but so he talks about how we, we develop these circles around ourselves. And what's core in a lot of us is fear. And so we're not really interacting in that transparent level that I talked about because we're all kind of interacting out of fear. And, and so we're not really getting below the surface. But here's the amazing thing about the blood of Jesus, and here's where identity in Christ comes in. It says, this is the message we heard from him and declare to you. This is 1 John 1. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So we realize we can't, I can't be God. I can't be one with God. I, I, you know, I, I can't have a relationship with God on my own. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' son purifies us from all sin. Uh, so Jesus' blood, that's why Jesus came as a perfect human being who didn't mess up like Adam did or like you and I do, who, who, who uh, had this perfect intimacy with God, and then he took the penalty of sin on himself and pur- to purify us so we can stand before God that says confidently and unashamed. We can have pure, and then this verb for purifies, you've probably heard this before, it's a continual, in, in the Greek, it's a continual verb. It's continually purifying us. It's not just when we repent of our sins and get baptized, but as we continue in the light, children of the light, we're con- we don't have to worry about sin anymore, so we can be free to be real. Grace allows us to be real. Grace is the place to face the real you. You can go, okay, I have grace so I can be real. And it takes away, it can, you know, the potential is to take away that where we have to hide behind things and we can be vulnerable. And it's amazing how when you have conflict uh, with each other, usually it's coming from fear. Both people have fear. I have fear about this. I have fear about this. But then it comes out as conflict with each other. But it's amazing how that falls down if you go, let me just tell you what I'm afraid about. <laughs> let me just tell you where I'm, you know, vulnerability and then vulnerability over here and then, oh, you know, you, you break that, that cycle. And so truth, being honest, being real, being true is what, uh, speaking truth to fear is what can allow this to, to change. And so you can see, and this is a model from Harry Crab, Larry Crab. Um, if you're speaking truth to the layer, that's just going to cause either conformity, complacency, or callousness. You know, somebody might do what you say, but they're just going through the motions. But if you really get to the, if you really are speaking to someone's fear, if you're really able to, to get, to help encourage them in, in the inner part, then you, they still could rebel, they still could, but, but ideally it's, it, you have growth. And so change takes place when truth is presented in safe relationships. So that's what we want, that's why we want to, 
uh, relationships, discipling relationships in the church, because that's where we really change and grow. I mean, you can change and grow in church right here. Uh, you can change and grow in your small group. But there's something about one-on-one getting the Bible open and really talking about your real life. Everybody really wants that. Everybody wants to be able to talk about what's really going on and, and, and have help and encouragement on that transparency level. Right? I mean, is it true? Some of you are like, I don't know. I don't think that's true. Who thinks it? <laughs> you know, I, I'm just, that is what, I mean, maybe you don't know that you want it. But I promise you, if you get that, you're like, oh, man, this is what I need. And you've probably experienced it at some point, or you probably wouldn't be here around a long time. Some people, maybe you're, you're around a long time, and you, you experience this kind of relationship, but then maybe you got hurt, and now you're sort of back to protecting. And you're, you, so you're still kind of trying to stick it out, but you're not really growing and developing like you could. And so, uh, but it has to be a safe relationship. It's speaking the truth in love. The mature church, as described by the Bible, is one in Ephesians 4 where instead of being blown around by all these things of life uh, in verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in what? In love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So he describes the body. The body's got all these parts to it. And all these parts are interacting with each other. And it, it talks about where each part, everybody is speaking the truth in love. Everyone, in, it's not like the minister, I'm the pastor, and so I'm the one that has all these wide wor- wise words, and you listen to what I say. That's not the, ch- the mature church. The mature church is where it says right before this, the leader's job is to equip people for works of service. I want to help you know the Bible better. I want to help inspire you, but so that you can speak the truth to one another. And we have these relationships that call one another higher. And truth uh, allows us all to grow as we're able to be real with each other and speak that truth in love. Uh, the, and, and the answer isn't just total openness. It's not just, okay, I'm going to... Brian said to be real, so, you know, like Pat, you know, I can't stand the sound of your voice. I'm just keeping it real. Like, that is not, sure, that's open, but he's not feeling encouraged, you know? Like, and that's not true, Pat. I love the sound of your voice. I'm just saying, some people say, okay, I'm being open. I'm just venting. Okay, but there, you know, that's not, it's speaking the truth in love, right? It's, what is helpful to build that person up? So, so it's truth, but it's truth in love. That's, the, that's what makes it safe. That's what makes it safe. And, uh, and, and so we, we need to have safe space discipling. So again, we, we are known as the discipling church, a discipling ministry. Uh, we've had discipling in our fellowship for 30 years. But I think at times our model was one, at least this is what I experienced. Can I just talk for myself? I, I might not be, might not be few. But for myself, I felt like in discipling relationships, like this means we're in a discipling relationship. So let's say Rhett and I are in a discipling, you know, we're discipling partners. Let's say, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm older, I've been around longer, so I'm discipling him. It's kind of more of a mentoring relationship. It's like I need to have all the answers, right? That's how it sort of felt sometimes. Like the, the discipling relationship is he comes to me with his problems and I give him the Bible and here's the answers and I have all the answers. You know, that, that's not a safe place, you know, and, and it's not, it's not, there's, there's too much pressure, right? There's too much pressure on me, on him. Uh, you know, it, it, it's like sometimes what somebody needs is just somebody to be with them. Like, like I, I had a professor in college who said Job's friends were doing an awesome job until they opened their mouths. <laughs> you know, because like sometimes you just need somebody to sit with you in your pain or just go, wow, tell me more. That's hard. You know, I, I can not like try to fix Sometimes I don't need to be fixed. I just need to tell you what I'm going through, you know. And, uh, and so I think a, a safer way to think about it is that you're checking in. You're checking in on a heart level with each other. Like I, and even using that terminology, can we check in? Just how are you? What's going on? Is there anything I can do for you? Rather than just giving unsolicited advice, you know, what, what can I do for you? How can I help? Can we, can, uh, can we look at some scriptures together? Can we pray together? Uh, or how can I encourage you? But having that mutuality that's, that's safe and encouraging, I think everybody, people are longing to really be heard and respected and built up. I think most of the time we need encouragement. Once in a while we might need a rebuke. Once in a while we might need to be rescued or pulled out of the fire. But most of the time we just need encouragement. We just need, you know, I mean, we get with Steve and Jackie almost every week, and most of the time it's just, let's just encourage each other. We, we're figuring out what, what we need to do in the church, but also just, hearing each other out, talking about what we're going through, and just trying to encourage, you're a great parent. You're a great 
husband, you're a great wife, you're doing, you know, keep going, you got, you know, you know like that's what we need. And, and so Satan wants to rob us of that and make us all feel alone, even in the church. And so, uh, so, so I encourage you, if you're not in a relationship, a discipling relationship right now, just choose this time to kind of kickstart that again, to get that going, to get, get somebody that you can meet with every, every week or every other week. I encourage you to, do, to have like a, at least an every other week appointment because life is life. So if you go, we're going to meet once a month, and then you know, something happens and you don't meet that month, and then pretty soon it's two months and you haven't even met together. So, so, so make it an every other week appointment or even every week if you want, but, but have somebody that you meet with. Discipling relationships that are healthy, uh, that, are, that are happening, <laughs> you know, and that everybody has somebody. Uh, that's what, what, what we want to have. And in, in those times, it's inspirational, it's encouragement, there's empathy and support, uh, there's rescuing and restoration, there's healthy conflict. You know, the Bible doesn't describe relationships with one another where there's no conflict. It's not like, the, the goal is not, okay, let's all just have no conflict. Like, Jesus had conflict, right? Jesus had conflict with his own d- disciples. There's conflict, there's, there's moments, but it's how do you handle that conflict? And how do we work through it? And how do we come through better and closer uh, and, and maintaining a safe, uh, safe space. And we can learn from each other. We can grow from each other. The thing I love about our church is the diversity of our congregation and, and people that, that you might get together with that you never might be friends with in the world. You know, here's another part of that Varna survey. It says that, uh, would, you, would you say current friends most similar to yourself or mostly different from yourself in each of these areas? Just take a look at those, each of those things. Life stage... Racial, ethnic background, that's a big one. Social status, that's a big one. You know, most people only hang out with people that are like them. And so this is a place where in our church we can really shine as we forge these relationships that are different, where we learn from people who just have a whole different worldview, a whole different family of origin. They grew up on a, in a whole different part of, uh, of the world, you know? Like, it's easy to hang out with people that are like you. I'll just say that. You know, it's easy to hang out with people... For me, it's easy to hang out with people that are Gen X, that listen to The Cure and The Smiths, and, you know, uh, like, like wearing Doc Martens, and, you know what I mean, like, and are a musician. Like, people who are like me, it's super easy. They're artsy. But people who are different, and I won't even say who, because you'll say, but those of you who are very different than me, I learn so much, I grow so much from those kinds of, uh, of relationships. So here's uh, some fe- a few, just, you can take a picture of this. If you're out of, the, out of the habit of having discipling times, here are some kind of discipling time starters uh, that will facilitate a good conversation. How do you see God working in your life right now? That's a great question, and that gets us God-centered, God-focused. I don't really see God working in my life right now. Oh, wow, that's, that's tough. Uh, you know, how's your walk with God going? Or, Let's pray together, you know. Uh, because God's always working. It's just, do you see it, right? God's always working. Uh, is there anything I can pray for in your life right now? There's always something we can pray for each other. I appreciate my, my daughter's boyfriend asked me that this last week. You know, that's awesome. Went, scored some points with the dad, you know. <laughs> How can I pray for you? Uh, how's marriage? How's work? How's kids? How's school? I mean, that's a lot of what we talk about with the Marichis. Just how's life? How's, how's all this stuff going? Uh, life beats you up, doesn't it? I mean, is it just me? No, no life beats you up, right? Like, there's a lot that just happens. And so just a lot of just encouraging each other with what we're going on. Let me share with you this awesome scripture I just read. Like, there's something so powerful about getting into the Bible together, sharing scriptures together. And, and, and so the, the Bible is, is the center, the foundation of 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 our relationships with one another. And pray for my friend I'm reaching out to. Here's this, here's a, a friend I, I'm, I'm trying to get to come to church or I'm trying to come, get to come to small group or we're having a, a, a party in my, in, in my neighborhood and I'm, I'm praying for this couple to come because we're trying to build friendships with them and, and reach out to them with the gospel and let them know about Jesus. And, you know, just having those kinds of conversations as well that we can work together to, to bring others into the fellowship, bring others into church. We should be talking about that regularly. Uh, who, who, are, who are reaching out to? We're, Jesus said to make disciples of all nations, and so this is something that we are devoted to as a church, is helping other people to know God. Amen? Amen. So uh, we're going to have a, a real-life example of a discipling relationship here in a second. Come on up. But uh, I want to 
close what I'm sharing about with this scripture here, John 13. And again, this is a familiar passage. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We know this story. If you don't know the story... Uh, Jesus is, is with his, the 12 disciples in this room. They're sharing a meal together, and he washes their feet. That's something most likely these guys didn't have their feet washed, maybe ever or usually, because this is something that the affluent slaves would do for the affluent. You know, it's dirt roads. You've got, you're wearing sandals. Your feet get really nasty and really dirty. So a slave would wash you know, a, 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 someone who was a little more wealthy that had slaves in the home. They would wash those, those people's feet. And so Jesus does this for his guys. He gets down with a basin of water and he washes their feet. But I want to point out the beginning in verse 3. What did Jesus know? What, what were the things that Jesus knew? What do you see here? Just shout it out if you see it. Or raise your hand if you want. He knew God put all things under power. Okay, so he knew. That sounds like Matthew 28, right? He said, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. So his identity affected the way that he interacted with people. He knew his identity. God has put everything under my power. Like, I have this important role that I'm playing in the world. What else did he know? That he came from God. So he knew his identity. Where He knew his source. He knew, he, he knew what, 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 what was, life was really about. And he knew what else? He was returning to God. So that's three things he knew about his identity. I, I like how John gives you a lot of detail there. and we, A lot of times we rush right through that part. So that, that is how we're able to have great relationships with other people and how we're able to be vulnerable with other people is because we know we're secure in God. We've got grace with him. We have a, a close walk with him. You know, it's day-to-day -day with God. And so then that can lead into being able to be vulnerable. So, so he gets up, took off his outer clothing. Like I think that's even a metaphor like, He's taking off the, the outer clothing that you wear to look good. Like, you know, like he takes off this, this outer clothing, and I won't get any more than that, but, you know, he, he strips down. So the idea is, like, he's kind of in his underwear, really. He gets vulnerable. And, and so, uh, and then he washes their feet. So if I was, was going to ask a volunteer to come up here, and I'm going to wash your feet, would you do that? Like, I mean, I feel weird. I would not do that. I'm not going to do it, but I wouldn't be. I, I just don't want, I feel like Peter, Peter doesn't want Jesus to wash his feet. He's like, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. No, no, no. Like, I would not, like, we did this one time, Steve and Jackie washed my feet. I, I mean, amen. I'm glad we did it, but if we never do it again, that's cool. <laughs> I just don't like, you know, somebody rubbing my feet. It's just weird, you know? Uh, maybe you're different, but why? Because it's vulnerable. It's, you know, it's dirty. It's, but Jesus went there. Right? To show them that we can, we can have these kinds of relationships with one another where we kind of get our hands dirty. Where we get, we're, we're, we're willing to humble ourselves. That was a very humble posture he took. And he said, now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. And so the early Christians actually practiced foot washing as, as, a, as a, a, you know, a reenactment with this, of this. I don't know how often they did it. There's, there's debate about how often they did it. But it was kind of a regular thing. to, Like we do communion, it's like a way to remember this idea that those are the kind of relationships we should have with one another. Foot washing, intimate relationships that cause you to get past those externals. And so I want to invite you to, to, to enter into those relationships if you haven't had those. Have that kind of vulnerability and transparency. Allow that into your life. Make a decision to do that uh, today if you haven't had that kind of relationship. And if someone's got dirty feet that you know, wash them. Because we know where we came from. And we know where we're going. We know who God is. And we know what our spiritual identity is. And change takes place when truth is presented in these safe relationships. So Jackie and Janae are going to come up right now and uh, share a little bit about their relationship, their discipling relationship. There is a... a Jackie and Janae are both on staff with the South Bay Church, and there is a slight age, age discrepancy between them. Barely. And uh, 
but they're each better because of their friendship. I really believe that, you know, I've, I've seen that from my vantage point, and, and uh, I really appreciate my relationship with both of them. So I'm just going to ask them some questions and, and, and have them share answers, and, and hopefully we'll kind of get a real-life, real-world example of, of how these kinds of relationships can work. So, so first question is, uh, I'll just ask you both this, and you can have your, each have your own take. How did you... Excuse me, how did your friendship uh, or your discipling relationship start? Like, what's the origin story of Jackie and Janae friendship? Thank you. Um, I can start. Janae, hi. Um, I help with the campus here. Um, I'm 24, by the way. Um, just a little bit. I'm not going to say my age. <laughs> <laughs> and just for the record, I pay good money to have my feet washed. So if you want to wash my feet and you're good at it anytime. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> um, yes. So our relationship started. I actually grew up here, and then I moved to the west side for teens around freshman year of uh, high school. And then I went to the IE for college. And so I had a rough experience in campus. Um, and so when I came, I moved back because of, you know, COVID and stuff. I couldn't stay out there anymore. School shut down and everything. Um, and so things started happening kind of in the world. And I was upset about it, as I'm sure a lot of you guys were also upset about it. And so... I was just really looking for refuge. I was looking for people who understood, and um, I reached out to Steve and Jackie because, um, you know, things were happening or not happening in church, and I remember, and I was in the West Side at the time, and Steve and Jackie were leading the region. The West Side was in the region and stuff, and I was like, I remember Steve and Jackie. I was, you know, 12, but I know Steve and Jackie, and so I just reached out to them for help and stuff, and it just kind of blossomed from there, and I remember talking to Steve, and he was like, you sound a lot like Jackie. It's like, I have no idea what you mean. No <laughs> idea what you mean. Um, and then I got with Jackie, and it turned out I sound a lot like Jackie, apparently. Um, good or bad, you know, think for yourself. Um, but that's just kind of how it started uh, for me. She became a safe space for me very quickly. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there was stuff going on in the church and in the world that affected the church, right? Because we live in this world, so we're all affected with it. One part suffers, we all part suffer, we all rejoice together, or at least that's how it's supposed to be. So, yeah, Janae reached out to Steve, and, uh, and Steve's like, you need to talk to Janae. And, um, you know, honestly, at the time, Janae and some of her friends were annoying some of the leadership in the church, just to be honest, and, right? You, I'm not saying you were annoying. I'm saying there were some leaders in the church that were annoyed. And um, so I just thought, you know, it's, I just want to sit and talk with her, right? I just want to talk with her and find out, like, what, what makes her tick? Like, what's going on? And so we started getting together because it was COVID. We would meet in my backyard um, just regularly. And there was much more there than what had appeared to be on the surface. So I think quickly, um, you know, I was able to see that this young woman really loves God and really loves his church, even though we're all jacked up, um, because we're all here, right? But that she really loved God and really um, wanted to make a difference like the rest of us, um, but was feeling some things that were valid and true and things that, you know, so that's kind of how we met. Oh. You can give it back to, I've got my, uh, I got a mic, so. Um, so thank you for sharing that, and uh, that's super interesting. Um, what are a few random or funny things you've learned from each other? All right. Um, <laughs> that you can share in church setting. Right. That we can share in church <laughs> settings, Jacqueline. Okay. Um, because <laughs> I, I know Jackie's learned some lingo from... Janae, that probably can't be shared. <laughs> no, it cannot be shared. Um, like certain words not to use and stuff like that. Just move on. 
Um, I think personally for me, something that I've learned from Jackie is that you have to keep asking because the worst thing they could tell you is no. And if you ask enough times, they probably will change it to yes. <laughs> I think so, Jesus told a parable about that. Yeah, and so... <laughs> right, I, I've learned how to biblically nag now. So, And it works in real life, too. I call it being... T- I call it being tenacious. Yeah, I mean, until God says no, right? I mean, and sometimes you have to, depending on what it is. But anyway, um, funny things I've learned from Janae. Oh, my gosh. There's just so many. Um, Yes, I've learned some serious lingo that I'm not allowed to say anymore. Words that don't mean the same thing that I thought meant the same things from, like, you know, 58 years ago. Yes, I'm 58 without shame. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, I mean, that's the funny thing. I've learned way more than that. We'll get to that in a second. But the funny things is, is, you know, I'll be saying something, we'll have a lesson or we'll be talking in staff and then I'll say something and her and me can start cracking up and they're laughing at me and, or at lunch. And I'm like, all right, what did I say? What's going on? Like, you can't say that anymore. I'm like, why? Here's what it means to me. No, no, no. That's not what it means anymore. And then they paint a very vivid picture of what it means. So they're right. I can't say that anymore. <laughs> so what about, what about some more uh, bigger issues? Like, uh, can you think of an example where your mind was changed by the other person on something? Yeah. Um, so for those of you who don't know my family, my family has been in this church for a while. Um, and it's a very messy story. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, and so... But we've also been very loved and supported by the church, and we've also been very hurt by the church, as I'm sure a lot of you can also relate to. Um, And so I very much came back from college with a very specific mindset, if that makes sense. I was very much, I felt very othered by um, church and religious communities, meaning that it was... I was the other, I, I was never in like mm. the main circle, if that makes sense. So people would other me. I was still to explain that term. Thank you. Some of us don't know what that Yeah. Um, Some of us are <laughs> And so I had a very us versus them uh, mentality. And that carried through with different groups. It wasn't just, you know, church leaders and us. It, it carried through in so many different ways with so many different people that I was, it was always an us versus them. And they hurt people, and I don't hurt people because I could never possibly be harmful, right? Um, wrong. And so um, I think Jackie has definitely taught me um, that there's no binary here. Like, there's no us versus them. There's no other here, that we are all here. We all have the same goal, and we all hurt each other often. Mm-hmm. You know, we all hurt each other pretty often, um, and that doesn't exclude me, and it doesn't exclude a particular group, and different groups are hurt in different ways, and um, the harm perpetuates itself in different ways, depending on whatever group marginalized or oppressed there is and stuff, but everybody is hurt, and everybody is also equally loved by God. Um, And so I think my perspective was shifted just because I'm now allowed into the room. I'm, you know, I have a seat at the table, and I never had a seat at the table before, Um, I didn't know what the table looked like at all. I didn't know if there were chairs for everybody. I didn't know if it was standing room only. I had no idea. Um, And so I'm really grateful to be able to be part of, um, I think, a community that wants everybody to be part of the conversation, that wants everybody to be in the room and um, to be able to have a seat, you know, and that there's no other, that everybody is welcome in, um, in the room. And I was able to really... I think see the humanity in leadership. I never really saw that before because I was so very much, especially in college, hurt by that. Um, and then now I'm a part of a leadership team that wants me to be there because I have a different perspective and wants me to be there um, just because they want everybody to be there. Amen. So, yeah. Amen. Amen. Can I just interrupt and say, uh, you know, as a church leader, as a representative of the church, I just want to apologize for the hurts that you've. 
Amen. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is what family's like. If you're not, if you go to a church that you're never hurt in, I hate to say it. I mean, not that we should be trying to hurt each other, but it's probably not really family. I mean, because we're in each other's junk, right? Life is messy, and and I think it makes us more like Christ. It's how we can have a friendship, how we can, like, you know, normally, Janae, and we probably would never hang out if it wasn't for Christ, right? Like, if we weren't in church together. Um, so I'm going to... I'm going to really stick to my notes on this part because I don't <laughs> trust myself. I know my own weakness. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm going to say Janae shot, uh, taught me a lot and has shared with me um, how it can be, and in particular with her experience growing up in an active Christian community, right? Um, a youth ministry, a teen ministry, and a campus ministry. I didn't grow up in that environment. I was the parent in that environment with, to my kids, right? Um, so I didn't grow up in it. I grew up in my own religious uh, environment, going to church every Sunday, went to parochial school for most of my life. And, um, and then how we deal with and practice what are, in many cases, biblical things, um, but how we practice those things in a community can bring about unforeseen consequences and trauma, even with the best intentions mm -hmm. and motivations, right? So through those conversations, I was able to identify and learn things that I did as a leader, unintentionally or not, that have hurt people. And if we're not careful with one another in our practice of even biblical and godly concepts can actually hurt and not help. I'm going to give you a for instance. So... Um, for instance, our young people absolutely believe in and strive to practice purity that is laid out in the standard of the Word of God. But at times, the way we have practiced and taught about it traditionally, and I say we, I mean me, myself included, I've been in ministry for 31 years. Um, and so I'm guilty of these things that I'm talking about. But at times, the way we practiced and taught about purity in particular, I'm just using this one subject, um, traditionally has been heavily slanted towards women and young teens and preteens having to own everyone's purity. Theirs and their male counterparts are men in the church community. What I mean by this, hang on people, save your <laughs> attitude for the end. Okay. <laughs> While in reality, every man and woman have to own their own purity, control their own thoughts and eyes, their own gaze. It doesn't mean it's a free-for-all. It doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean it's a free-for-all and we get to do whatever we want. We're bought at a price, right? But, um, and we don't get to just do as we see fit. Again, we're bought at a price. But when we have a community that feels or some in the community, and again, I'm sharing from a first-person experience, um, that feel they need and have the right to be the purity police when it comes to dress, because maybe one inch of somebody's belly is showing, or someone has on what is a modest tank top in our society, or a young girl's shorts don't go down to her knees, and they're told they have to wear shirts over swimsuits, and we police all of that. So much so that we feel we have to go tell them because we have made ourselves the dress police. We have to go tell this person who loves God, who's doing their best, who's trying their best, hey, you really shouldn't wear that because one of the brothers, this just happened recently, one of the brothers told me it's making him struggle. That is not okay. It's straight up weird. Um, now women, women, you know, now this young woman or this person knows that there's some dude sitting in church right now that's looking at me sexually. That is out there, right? That is weird. Um, but I didn't see it that way. That is not how I saw it. How I saw it was and how I was taught is no. Instead of being taught, because I love the Lord, I dressed modestly for myself because I love myself and the way God made me. What I was taught and what I perpetuated for many years was 
I shouldn't dress that way because I'm going to make somebody struggle. I'm going to make a brother struggle. And I'm not trying to be insensitive to brothers. This is one subject. There's many subjects that pertain to women also the opposite way about respect and, you know, many, many other things. I'm just picking this one subject because it's a hot topic, and I can tell you all agree with me because of how quiet it is. But <laughs> um, So now this woman knows there's some guy in church who's looking upon her sexually. Uh, you know, how about telling the person in the case, I wonder, I know I have never done this. Well, not, not in the distant past, in the recent past I have. I have never, when a brother or somebody came up and told me, said something like that, I never said, hey, bro, how about your purity? How about controlling your gaze? How about controlling your eye? How about looking away? How about... Instead, the other person was challenged. When, honestly, there were things that just weren't inappropriate um, in dress. So, so I think... What happened is, and what I learned from Janae, in what I thought was a good and pure motive and good teaching, the heart of the teaching was, hey, let's, we belong to one another. We belong to Christ. We belong to one another. We don't want to make each other struggle. Of course not. We don't. Um, however, the way, the way I taught it and the way we, I practiced it was in a way that made these young women feel ashamed and sexualized. That's not okay, right? It made these women feel um, ashamed about their bodies that God gave them, the body that is made in his image, rather than, you know, loving themselves and feeling beautiful in the eyes of God and made in his image and then dress accordingly because of that, dressed modest for our day rather than feel ashamed or be worried about being sexualized. And um, so, yeah, I'll just say that it caused me to take a look and take the plank out of my own eye go to the word of God and then teach others how to, how to think, not what to think. Mm. I would say that was a big one. It's mm. good. I would say that was a big one. Amen. Amen. Well, um, you guys both, even just that question, what, where was your mind changed by the other? You can see, well, we got into some real deep waters quick of, uh, of hurts, of, uh, you know, all this stuff. Like uh, the, both the things that each of you shared could be like, four-hour presentation or workshop, you know what I mean? So you might even have thoughts about what they just shared about, like suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, I have feelings about that, I have thoughts about that. Well, that's why we need each other, like to be able to talk through and work through that stuff and get the Bible open and, and like talk, dialogue about it and have healthy conversations about this stuff because uh, it, it's deep stuff, not just kind of each be in our own little isolated world. So anyway, I just wanted to say that because you might even right now want to like, charge the stage and have something to say. And that's good, like that's where, that's where we bring that to each other uh, and our relationships with one another. So uh, we're running over time, but I, I wanna just ask you maybe in one sentence, uh, can you share how this relationship is forming you more like Christ? Because that's the goal of discipling. It's not just, it's not therapy, it's not to be, be my, the better, best version of myself, right? It's not just self-actualization, it's to make me more like Jesus. Like our relationships are meant to point towards Jesus always and so what's like maybe one way that you feel like your relationship is helping you be more like Jesus if it's not something you already shared um, I think I just wanted to um, emphasize that I think that Jesus wants us to not pick and choose who we love and are empathetic for hmm. you know um, and so I think that's something that I um, definitely had to learn because I definitely chose uh, who deserves to have my respect, my empathy, and my love, um, and then who does not. So I think in that way, this relationship is definitely teaching me that. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I think it just wraps up with what I was saying before. I mean, Janae has caused me to go back to the Word of God and really, um, I mean, I've done that with a woman's role for many years, but just about things that we practice the way we practice them in our Christianity is go Amen. back to the Word of God and go, what is what is really tradition versus what is what is yeah. God? What are the saying? weightier things of the law? Yeah, what are the weightier things of the law? Yeah, so, like when yeah. God, when Jesus keeps saying, "Go, go learn what this means." I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says that a few times. So go, go, right. he, the teacher of the law. Go learn this. You know, that's that's what I hear you saying. So that's good. 
Uh, amen. Well, thanks for uh, sharing you guys, sharing your life. And uh, appreciate you guys a lot. Um, we're going to frame our, our thoughts for communion here. Uh, and so just as we take communion, I want to go back to that uh, scripture. Maybe you could put it on the screen again, um, Casey, if possible, the First John one. Um, it says that because of, uh, of his, his, what Jesus d- did, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his son purifies us from all sin. So really, the only thing that makes us able to have vulnerable relationships, I feel like in a real, uh, what God intended is the blood of Christ. And that's what gives us fellowship with one another. And so communion is a time of fellowship with one another. It's a shared experience where we share this meal together. So it's about our, us and God and examining ourselves, but it's also about each other, that we're in this space together remembering Jesus and what he did for each one of us. And it's his blood and his body that allows us to have real connections and real relationship and be able to, to move past things that, you know, in the world would keep us, uh, keep us down or keep us from moving forward. So let's pray for communion and... Uh, and then we'll have a time of meditation and a song. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice of his body and blood for us. Thank you for the way that he lived, the way he died. I know even that night that he washed his disciples' feet was the very night of his betrayal. Uh, so he could have had so much on his mind. I know he did have so much on his mind. And yet he, even in that midst of that, he knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's going to be beat up that very night. He knows he's going to be rejected and yet he washes his disciples' feet. I just am so amazed at that level of love. And uh, I pray to be more like him. I thank you for this time to remember him. I thank you for the ways that each other, we can see Jesus in each other, and the relationships we have with each other can help us to remember him uh, more and more. And uh, bless our time of remembrance. And thank you for his body and blood and and the bread and and wine that allows us to remember uh, his body broken for us and his blood given for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.